It's we... extra fun because I clap at different speeds every time as well. Oh, I know. <laughs> what are you, a drummer? <laughs> Living in a scientific age, we need citizens who know enough about science to make intelligent decisions about what they do. We use science to, to prolong life, to increase security and happiness. But it can also be used for destruction. Are we going to use it constructively? It'll be up to you, and you too. Todd Workoven. I recognize that voice. Is that Mark from the Mark and Todd cast? <laughs> that, that is Mark from the Mark and Todd cast. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. But we've been watching movies uh, throughout this pandemic, and uh, we were checking in on some, some classics from the 90s. Do you know what a 1999 movie starring Brendan Fraser and a fossilized dinosaur fart have in common? <sighs> They're both a blast from the past. Oh, brother. <laughs> Why did it have to be a Brendan <laughs> Fraser movie from 1999? I guess I know it's talking about The Mummy, but... No, really, the, what, there's a movie called A Blast from the Past. Oh, well, that's <laughs> starring right. Starring Brendan Fraser. <laughs> Is that the one that starts off in black and white? Uh, no. No, that's Pleasantville. Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, Last from the Past is in 1962. The dad, who is uh, played by uh, Christopher Walken, uh, plays a mad scientist. And he has built a very elaborate, very extensive uh, uh, fallout chamber under his house that can sustain them for 35 years. Because that's, oh, that's how long... Right. The nuclear winter is going to take. So there was a scare during the Cuban Missile Crisis. They all went down to the thing, and then an explosion happened above, uh, and it turned out that a plane crashed on their house. Uh, <laughs> but they they stayed down there for thirty five years, awaiting the nuclear winter to uh, to uh, clear out, and then they uh, rose back up into the San Fernando Valley in uh, you know nineteen ninety nine and. Uh, it but pretty definitely not in <laughs> definitely not in Ceno Man, no. which seems to have an almost identical premise. <laughs> and, and cast, yes, and cast. Ah, uh, Sands well, Polishore. Yeah. So, so tell me, tell me about your big yard sale. Yeah. Yeah. So we we've been moving. Uh, we've been packing to move. Uh, hence the echoing in the room as I've taken down all the curtains and the uh, all the things. And so we had a um, a pandemic uh, a yard sale, uh, a garage sale. So what we did is I just made it a self-service garage sale. And yeah. uh, because it wasn't all the things that were super expensive or, or whatever, you know. It was just extra stuff. Extra stuff. And, and so we put it up for uh, sale. We said, pay what you want to pay. And I gave people my Venmo, my PayPal, and envelopes uh, that they could just put cash in our uh, in, in our mail slot. And um, one, we will never do a regular yard sale again. This is the only way to do it because people 
guiltily pay way more than they would if you we sold a colander for five dollars which is like a ridiculous price at a yard sale to pay for a colander uh, that's on the that's in the free box usually totally it's a 20, basically everything that you were selling was stuff that was like free take what take if want we didn't want to go to goodwill and yeah. so, uh, and so we just put it in the driveway and so we made like 120 bucks. Wow. <laughs> we, and I saw the stuff you had for sale and that was not worth $125. None, none of it was. There was a, a, a chair that Nick bought at Goodwill for $3 that he then slapped some white paint on that we got 20 bucks for, uh, that we would have never put $20 price tag on at a yard sale. And so we just put a sign that said, pay what you think it's worth. wow the guilt comes out and so that's the only way now were you and so you guys weren't standing around out there you just like had it out occasionally right correct and so we occasionally would would meander out there uh and then strike up conversations and during one of the conversations one of the uh kind gentlemen from up the street says your voice sounds familiar are you mark from the mark and todd cast and uh let it this, it, is, it this is still just like so un like i know you're not lying but are you yeah, lying I, that's what i told him I'm like who put you up to this because i said oh you're our listener and uh and we but uh, really cool dude and and is uh, had you seen him before like walk no, by or like no, i not not noticed him i you know, he probably has, but he lives in the neighborhood and he's there. How in the world is that <laughs> possible? <laughs> yeah. So he's, uh, he's, and I'm, I'm terrible because I have forgotten his name and he told me his name. And so, uh, well, he knows who he is because he's know. our only other, he's, he's our, our only listener. listener. So, so, uh, so, uh, so leave, a, see, awesome. leave a message, uh, and, uh, drop us a line and uh yeah so we talked about the market podcast we we also talked about um weird portland united is he actually got connected to weird portland united after hearing it on our show and uh weird portland see and that's fascinating because usually the unipiper is the way in for people you know what i mean (laughs) i i agree uh he was looking (laughs) for i i asked him like how how did you find us and uh he uh, works from home doing assembly work uh, that he and I believe his wife, uh, the, the beautiful lady that was with him, said uh, that they have a, a business where they are uh, they manage uh, parts related to uh, um, audio pedals for for music, for musicians, oh, like guitar pedals. Yeah. And so they um and so they're doing a lot of assembly and collection and organizing of things all day. And it's it's not really mind uh, needing work. And so he can listen to podcasts at the same time. So he listens to a bunch of podcasts. We're not like his exclusive oh, podcast yeah, yeah. or anything. <laughs> and he listens to a bunch of podcasts and wanted like Portland specific things. And so he appreciated the, uh, the local look at... Uh, the Portland activities and the connection to the word Portland United and, and things like that. So, uh, very cool. And, uh, appreciated our rapport as friends, uh, between, between you and I, maybe he's the guy who left us our iTunes review of two basic white men <laughs> to talk about boring stuff. 
or whatever that is. Nah, nah. Uh, and then he asked, like, well, don't you have metrics and everything? And I'm like, yes, we, we actually do. And we do have more than one listener. We have... <laughs> At least a few dozen, but uh, <laughs> but uh, I honestly I have not looked at the metrics in many moons, and yeah. I, have, I have really no idea. <laughs> Let's just say our growth rate is stagnant, <laughs> or or or, or uh, maybe it's a um, the cat in the box. We don't know whether it's dead or not. Uh, we we <laughs> yes, this is Schrodinger, Schrodinger's we're, podcast. We're Schrodinger's podcast. <laughs> awesome well something exciting happened the other day that you can tell us about that i saw on facebook but was too i was too late to get to it and it was too overcast so why don't you take that first story yeah so uh just a few days ago and uh, let me pull up the story so i can have a specific date uh it was thursday uh thursday march, march 4th uh, no, no, it launched oh, no. on March 4th and then happened on, and there's no date here. So it, yeah. <laughs> so on Thursday, uh, whatever date that was, um, <clears throat> one of Falcon 9's second stage rockets uh, re-entered the atmosphere over the Pacific Northwest. So Portland and Seattle got a uh, amazing light show of the debris coming back. And and so did a little, little looking up and, and we all are familiar with the first stage rockets from Falcon 9. And so when a SpaceX rocket takes off, there's the, uh, you know, it goes over over the hill and, and it, you know, it goes up and over towards the east. And then the first stage rocket, after it has expended all of its fuel, it goes back to Earth and lands back on a... Uh, a uh, thing in floating. the middle of the ocean, a floating, yeah. floating stage in the middle of the ocean. And um, the second stage is what brings them into low Earth orbit. And so it goes past the atmosphere and it doesn't have the capability of um, of landing again or re-entering again. And it's much smaller and uh and less reusable it's not reusable at all they they expend it and so after it separates from the capsule they do what's called a deorbit burn and they basically throw it towards the lower end of the atlantic ocean where nobody is and that light show is normally happening over <laughs> over uh an uninhabited zone of the earth and uh, this time, uh, that that uh, reentry burn didn't happen. Uh, the deorbit burn didn't happen, and so it orbited for about 22 days until it finally hit uh, the atmosphere and started heating up, and then broke up. And then each of the little chunks of debris have their own debris tail, and so it's a, an amazing light show. If you haven't seen. Uh, it uh, crawl out from underneath your rock and out of your cave because everybody has seen it and uh, look at the re-entry of the Falcon 9 second stage over Portland and, and Seattle. It's, it's really, uh, they've got some great footage of it. It's really cool looking. Yeah, I did see some of the footage. I, I had a friend who immediately was like, uh, flaming ball in the sky or something like that. But then I went outside and it was dark and I thought, well, was it, if it's a meteor storm, I should be able to see. But then it turned out that it was this rocket coming back. And the, yeah, the videos are pretty amazing. So 
Very cool to see part of that in our neck of the woods. Um, So I pulled a story here that I found last night at 1.30 in the morning when I wasn't going to sleep. And it kind of builds off of how um, uh, Oregon was in the news for decriminalizing um, lots of our our drug drug laws or whatever. Um, And so I read this article. Baltimore will no longer prosecute uh, drug possession, prostitution, and low-level crimes. So a pandemic experiment in the criminal justice reform takes hold uh, about a year ago uh, in Baltimore. The state attorney, Marilyn Mosby, stopped prosecuting drug drug possession, prostitution, minor traffic violations, and other low-level offenses. Um, The shift didn't just reduce jail populations. In Baltimore, nearly all categories of crime have since declined, confirming to Mosby what she and criminal justice experts had argued for years, that crackdowns on quality of life crimes are not necessary for stopping more serious crimes. So in the 12 months since she ordered the scale back enforcement, violent crime is down. So again, what they decriminalized Mm. is drug possession, prostitution, and low-level crimes. So violent crime as a whole was down 20%, and property crime has declined 36%. Um, And even though Baltimore still has one of the highest homicide rates in the nation, they inch down as well. So they found sharp reductions in calls to police complaining about drugs and prostitution. So clearly they say the data suggests that there is no public safety value in prosecuting low-level offenses. Um, So Baltimore is one of the few big cities where violent crimes did not increase over the last year because homicides and shooting rose in 2020. Um, she said the Baltimore police department will be a partner in the shift away from low level prosecutions in which officers and prosecutors will focus on violent crime and drug trafficking as courts begin to hold, uh, criminal trials again at the same time, law enforcement will work with local nonprofits, the Baltimore crisis response to provide services to people suffering from mental illnesses, homelessness, and drug addiction. So I'm not quite sure. Like, I understand what that means kind of as a thing, but like uh, not knowing what a low, let's say graffiti or something is a low level crime, I'm assuming. So like, do they just give a fine? Do you just, I I couldn't figure out if you just don't get in trouble at all. No, I, what I, what I think is the, like for prosecution, I, it's not a criminal offense. It still can be a civil, like a, um, you can, you So maybe can, this just isn't just jail time. Right. What they mean right. by that. Right. Yeah. And, and so you would get a fine for graffiti on somebody's wall or, right. or, or something, but, um, uh, decriminalizing it doesn't necessarily mean it's legal. It's to legal. Do, right. Right. And so drugs are not legal in Oregon, but they are not a criminal prosecution. You you can't possess them. They will take them away. Uh, you can get a fine, but you aren't going to ruin your life uh, because of a heroin addiction. Right. Uh, <laughs> 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 the Mark and Todd cast. Uh, so <laughs> 
<laughs> just go ahead and take that little snippet out of out of context. And put, that, put that on. And we're we're not doing uh, we're not sharing this video, but um, Mark is holding up a tiny mirror and and snorting rails off of it as he is saying this. So, right, yeah, you you, you know what I mean. So yeah, yeah, yeah kids totally. don't do heroin. <laughs> heroin is a gateway drug. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Well, it's been, it's so interesting that, and I think it's because I like to chew on concepts and I like to overthink things and I just like to have something that my brain kind of gets to think about in the background so that it doesn't, it doesn't go off and do other things or whatever. Um, And it was a, maybe a year, year and a half ago, I was listening to something or other and and one of the people was like, and this wasn't their topic. But this person was like, well, but I mean, that's why I think I should de- we should decriminalize um, set, uh, sex work and and unionize it or something to that effect. And right. of course, I my immediate response was like, oh, how could what kind of world are we living? You know, all of right. that. I clutched all the pearls that I own. And, <laughs> and but, you know, the more it's one of those things where it's like the more you think about it. And this isn't even from a, a legal standpoint, but like. um just if if our intention, especially with there's a, been a lot of recent um, kind of uh, awareness being made about um, sex trafficking and sex slavery and, you know, clearly being a sex worker, which is either, you know, a dancer or a, or a prostitute or like is an incredibly dangerous thing. Um and if if my if my internal intention is to <coughs> make sure that the vulnerable people of our world that our are unprotected and forgotten and blamed for everything like if my intention is to guard them against a system that is built to take advantage of them then yes like just like las vegas sex work can be legalized and and all of that there's rules and that way if right. something happens they can go to the police without fearing that they're going to go to jail you know sex trafficking it would be i mean all of that stuff so it's like well what is my is my intention to be like sex work or like what a bunch of whores or like you know right. if that's my intention well fine then i can keep but if my intention <laughs> is you know love and justice well then maybe some of my personal feelings about those things aren't are getting in the way of figuring out how to provide justice and safety to vulnerable people yeah and when we lived in italy we were surprised to find out that prostitution is legal in italy and oh interesting the thing that's not legal is the organization of prostitution so you can't be a pimp or uh, someone who manages prostitutes that's not a thing and so everybody's a freelancer (laughs) (laughs) so are there things like brothels or is that considered not that i not that i know of i there there may be but that wasn't the circle i was in um (laughs) (laughs) surprise but uh in certain areas of you were in the heroin circle (laughs) we we were totally doing heroin (laughs) i was busy and uh uh in certain areas uh there would when you get off an off ramp uh, at <laughs> of a freeway, there would just be a lady on her cell phone, and and so she 
they would always be on their cell phone and that seemed to be like hitting another loophole of no loitering. Uh, oh. I'm, I'm actively doing something here at this corner. I'm taking a business call or whatever. <laughs> right. And, uh, and I'm they, in a business meeting. <laughs> uh, when we were in Milan, we were at it. We, we got a really cheap motel and it turned out, uh, the reason it was so cheap, it was in a really uh, rough part of town, and the uh, the clerk was adamant, like, you don't take anyone else into this place. I will not let any, you know, like, he's at the door, and the door's locked, he has to let you in. And so clearly this area uh, had a lot of prostitutes, and we, we, as we were walking around the corner to grab dinner, Sure enough, like on every street corner, there was another lady on her cell phone <laughs> and uh, wow. each had their own corner, each had their own cell phone. And uh, that was that was the routine. You know, wow. this, this was 10, 15 years ago. But you know, that's I, fascinating. I yeah. You always hear yeah. about like Amsterdam and red light district and, and, and Vegas, too. But I, I it didn't occur <clears throat> to me that I guess other places would have tried that, too. Yeah, we, we were generally surprised. Yeah. Yeah. So, inter- yeah, all of that stuff, all of this low-level jail stuff, I'm glad is getting some attention because our justice system is very broken. And once you and I didn't pull the story, but I believe now, probably California or somewhere, somewhere, where um, the the thing with bail, you can't be like if you can't afford bail you can't be held now and now i I didn't i'll have to look that i'm getting the but basically like a lot of the way that the justice system traps people is that like let's say i'm going to the store (laughs) and i'm black and get arrested because i'm black at this store because somebody matching my description was stealing and so i get thrown in jail and i can't post bail because i don't have any money and so I have to stay in jail until whenever this trial, you know, all of this stuff. So you lose your job, you know, you right. are in jail and you are not guilty or convicted of, you know, nothing. Right. And, and so it's, it's in, it's to address that, that that can no longer, unless you are a, a flight risk. And like, there's still all those things that, yeah. you know, they're not going to let Jazane Maxwell or whatever, like wander free <laughs> or whatever, but for all of this low level stuff, because it is, I mean, it is a, it's not even quicksand. It's like a black hole. If you get yeah. near poverty in any way, it will suck you in and you can't get out. So yeah, it's it's very expensive to be poor, and uh, it once, is. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, wow. Well, uh, before we go on to yeah. the next one, so I'm I'm having this shower thought occasionally, and I uh, recorded it yesterday so that I could <laughs> remember it this time. So, if I gave you, and this has nothing to do with any of the topics we're talking okay. about, uh, if I gave you five photos or I gave you a total of 10 photos and I said five of these are sunrises and five of these are sunsets could you without knowing the location could you discern which ones are the sunrises and which ones are the sunsets that is so ridiculous because I think about that all the time (laughs) it's it's something I think about frequently and so I did a little research. Oh, okay. And and there are some clues that mostly deal with atmosphere. Be, you know, the 
there, there's a lot of people are like, yeah, I, I asked the question to Nick and Nick was like, well, of course, sunsets are grander, uh, <laughs> was, was his word. And oh, I, put, I, I, love, I love I, Nick. I pushed, pushed back and said, well, don't you think it's grander because you've never seen a sunrise? Like, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, um, you know, and so uh, we we talked about like there's infinitely more pictures of sunsets that we see because many more people are awake during sunset than they are during sunrise. And so we see a lot more sunsets than we do sunrises. And so there's this mental bias that sunsets are that look one way and we would always recognize that. Well, we just don't see a lot of great sunrise pictures necessarily. So so that's one thing. But at the end of the day, there's more things that have been raised into the atmosphere, including water vapor and dust and thing, uh, uh, dust and uh, exhaust from vehicles and everything. So there there might be a tint of color added to sunsets from the same day as a sunrise, but in, like on their own in a vacuum without being able to say, well, one of these is from the same day as the other. If you don't have that information, there is no definitive telltale sign because it's all on a spectrum. And right. so, uh, and so you, if you were given two pictures and you said one of these is the sunrise on this day and one is the sunset on this day, you could probably glean a little bit of information from the colors added by atmospheric conditions that happen during daylight hours. But otherwise, there's not any uh, significant clue. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah, because it, it, <laughs> it feels like there is one, but I wonder if that's also because like the day is done or... You know, I'm meeting up with my sweetheart at the beach at the end <laughs> right. of the day and spending, you know, into the evening. Like there's probably a lot more emotional attachment unless you're like a person that like our friend Wendy, who like <laughs> loves the morning and like all that stuff. Like <laughs> Wendy Hinkle, <laughs> you and your mornings. I know. <laughs> uh, and, so, and you and I both grew up on the West Coast. And so I always associate sunsets with the beach. Yes. I was uh, wondering and, that as and well. The ocean. And, and so like if you're on the East Coast. Or in, in Florida, you get them both, uh, but uh, depending on what side of Florida you're on. Uh, <laughs> the And so you could get magnificent sunrises over the ocean on the East Coast that you just don't see here. Interesting. Oh, that's fascinating. That was yeah. good. Okay. Well, also apropos of nothing, my camera looks great today. Yeah, my lighting solid. is very nice. <laughs> All right. Well, moving on. The Dead Sea Scrolls discovered. Wait. Discoveries. Discoveries. Oh, so we found some more ancient uh, text uh, in Israel. So the Israel Antiquities Authority announced on Tuesday that a four-year-old archaeological project uncovered portions of the book of the 12 minor prophets, including the books of Zechariah and Nahum, everyone's favorite Bible book, Nahum. <laughs> Uh, it was the first such discovery in 60 years. So also uncovered was a 6,000-year-old skeleton of a partially mummified child and a 10,500-year-old basket, 
with uh, which Israeli authorities said could be the oldest in the world. Uh, a CT scan revealed that the child's age was between 6 and 12, with the skin, tendons, and even hair partially preserved. So the first set of Dead Sea Scrolls was discovered uh, in 1947 and are considered some of the most important archaeological finds of the 20th century. Um, So other things that they found during this recent one was the cache of coins bearing Jewish symbols, uh, including a harp and a date palm, uh, arrowheads and spearheads, woven fabric sandals, and lice combs. So the the treasuries were found in what the Antiquities Authority called the Cave of Horror. (laughs) <laughs> First, I don't know why they called it the cave of horror, but okay. <laughs> so yeah, that's, for the lights to come back. <laughs> so it'll be interesting. So uh, kind of to recap, they found a 6,000 year old skeleton, uh, but they also found a basket that was 10,500 years old. So this is going to be very confusing for a lot of the young earth creationists. Cause we found the 6,000 year old body. <laughs> Where'd the basket come from? I guess Clear, so. clearly your dating uh, your your dating methods are wrong. You know, <laughs> I also like how like that would be like when they unearth me, I would have a basket that is four thousand years old, older than me somehow. Like, <laughs> how did those two? Like, how did this twelve year old girl have this six thousand year old basket? So I don't know what the story behind that is, but. Anyway, so well, uh, as I've been cleaning and and going through all the <laughs> items in my house, I I can tell you very clearly, very very succinctly that I probably have a six thousand year old <laughs> basket here. I've got I've everything six thousand year old cords in your cord pile that I was helping oh untangle. <laughs> Four boxes of cords. Oh, oh my gosh. man, yeah. All right, well, you want to take this next one. Three entirely new life forms have been discovered at different locations on board the International Space Station. So this is this is from the Sun, which is a European tabloid. But but I, I did look into this a, a little bit before the show, and okay. uh, and this isn't actually a super recent. Yeah, three of the ages collected by astronauts over. 2015 and 2016 so it's a it's a little dated but they're um what they found is taking samples uh surface samples around the international space station they found some bacteria that had evolved into the next uh species of bacteria and 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 further evolved into three subtypes of that new species and so there's uh, a team of u.s and indian uh, scientists studied four strains of bacteria found on the orbiting lab and say that three were previously unknown to science. Uh, one was in the overhead panel in a research lab, the second in the station's cupola viewing deck, and the third on the crew's dining table. The fourth strain was captured from an old cabin air filter that was returned to Earth 10 years ago. The tiny organisms all belong to a good family of bacteria found in soil and freshwater here on Earth, and they're involved in nitrogen fixation processes, plant growth, and in fighting plant pathogens. It means they're almost certainly carried up to the station from Earth aboard one of the dozens of spacecraft that traveled there every year. It's thought that the strains could lend a hand in developing crops that can grow in space. So, So they're not definitively... Uh, the the origin is not definitive, so they uh, a lot of things co- go up to and 
and leave the space station. And uh, they found three new bacteria that they didn't know about. That's so crazy. Can you imagine, like, because I like how where did they, they found them uh, in the research lab, in a viewing deck, and on the dining table or whatever. Can you imagine, like, <laughs> opening one of the compartments that you'd forgotten, like you'd forgotten your stuff in, in the space station and, like, a squid comes out just because it's been evolving in there, in there since you brought the bacteria up. It squirts its space ink in your face and like scurries away. <laughs> anyway, so uh, well, there is uh, some sad news here. Two sad, two sad, two sad stories from uh, around Portland. The first is that the Portland's Children's Museum. Uh, is going to close. So it was a museum, and there was also something called the Opal School, which is a charter academy inside the museum, will be closed June 30th due to, quote, devastating attendance and revenue losses from the pandemic and resulting shutdown. Uh, coupled with new cleaning protocols, limited capacity rules, and nearly 50 staff positions that needed to be refilled, they just called it quits. So, quote, the closure of the Children's Museum is, a de is devastating <clears throat> to the social fabric of the community, and the loss of Portland's Children's Museum will be felt for years to gum, to gum, uh, to come. The museum featured rotating exhibits highlighting an array of scientific and cultural themes. It also had several permanent exhibits, including a clay studio, a maker studio where children could create art, a construction zone, and a transportation exhibit. So they had been averaging 250,000 visitors a year. Um, and right now it's temp temporarily closed and will be closing on June 30. So I've actually never been, and I guess I never will go to the Portland Children's Museum. Yeah, you and I both. And, uh, I think we were chatting about this a, a few days ago when we, when we found out the news. As a volunteer at OMSI, I had the uh, kind of the museum card of the area. Uh, and so I could have gone to the children's museum, but I never felt the, <laughs> the specific need, but uh, it was the location of OMSI before OMSI moved down to the uh, power plant that it's uh, taken over down at the waterfront. And, uh, and so it's got this rich history in Portland. I know many families who bring their kids there all the time. And it and this is the one up by missed. By the zoo and the forest exactly. center, right? Okay. Exactly, exactly. Which yeah, was such a bummer location because there's like a parking lot with eight spots <clears throat> for the zoo, the forestry center, and the children's museum. But there is a Max station that uh, pulls into the tunnel right below it. And so you can pull it up in the Max, uh, shoot up the elevator, uh, relive a scene from <laughs> What the Bleep Do We Know? And then you are there. That was the scene. What the bleep do we know? Where they talk to water, they send it's, bad thoughts onto the water and spoil the water they, with their bad do. thoughts. <laughs> all right, and then, and then, uh, much, much to all of our chagrin, and especially Nick, uh, beloved children's author Beverly Cleary dies at age one oh four. That's crazy. So uh, she's been living in uh, Carmel Valley, California, in in Carmel, California, for uh, since the sixties. Okay. Uh, she, uh, the writer behind the popular characters Ramona Quimby and Henry Huggins, and uh, uh, lots of other stuff that that she's created over the years. 
and um, so no she, cause of no cause of death. <laughs> no, <laughs> no cause. Of, it was the coronavirus. <laughs> no cause of death was given. <laughs> like well, you know, she's kind of one oh four. You know, the, that's the cause of death. She died of it. Yeah. So she and I. Now that I'm <laughs> thinking about it, and I'm sure at some point along the way I must have, but I don't know that I've ever read any Beverly Cleary. Uh, I, I'm kind of with you. Uh, Nick is a children's book author and publisher. And so, uh, I'm trying to say this quietly so that, uh, he doesn't hear me in the, in the other room. I don't think I have either, but, uh, Nick definitely. Yeah. Well, and a bunch I, of signed books from her and the, oh, the wow. works. Uh, yeah. sell those now. <laughs> yeah, it's not, the market is hot. <laughs> All right. Well, this uh, next story is a little long, but I found it really interesting because one of the things that always fascinates me is like, you know, talking about sending things to the moon and like all of this stuff that we're capable of now, but we still don't know like why we yawn or why we sleep. And like, there's so many basic things that we don't know yet. And so uh, speaking of bacteria evolving into cephalopods now octopus researchers yield insights into the evolution of sleep so from brazil there's studies that show an animal uh that the animal the octopus already considered perhaps the smartest invertebrate experiences two major alternating sleep states similar to humans and it even might dream the researchers observed a species called octopus insularis in a uh, laboratory settings and found that there are uh there are two sleep states a quiet sleep and an active sleep uh a repeating cycle was observed during the sleep between quiet sleep they typically uh, lasted seven minutes and then active sleep lasted less than a minute so um they also detected some rapid eye movement and non-rapid eye movement as well um and you can see that in some other mammals birds and reptiles and of course if you've ever seen a dog sleep you will know that there are rapid body movements sometimes when they're sleeping. So um, active sleep in the octopus has a very short duration, typically from a few seconds to one minute. If during the state there is any dreaming going on, it should be more like a small video clip or even a GIF, says this lady. <laughs> it is unlikely they experience complex symbolic plots like we do. So they're because the last because the last common ancestor of vertebrates, including including humans, so the last common ancestor of octopus and humans, basically, lived more than half a billion years ago, it seems unlikely their similar sleep patterns were established before their evolutionary divergence. That means that this similar sleep pattern arose independently in the two groups, a phenomenon called convergent evolution. Uh, this investigation of sleep and dreaming in the octopus gives us a vantage point for the psychological and neurobiological comparisons with vertebrates um, and sophisticated cognitive features that are only seen in some vertebrate species, but with very different brain architecture. And like they've often like you can tell an octopus is dreaming because their skin has all the different colored pigmentations and the like I've flash through them and, and I've do all seen that. that. It's really trippy. Yeah. Oh, video of Isabella Puck dreaming you just sent me, so I will hurriedly click on this 25 seconds. <gasps> when was this? She's this like, is like last week. Okay, because she's trying she's, to move, but her hips don't she's work anymore. rocking back and forth in her sleep. Wow, that is so funny. Her one leg trying to run in her dream. Oh, Pug. 
That is so funny. <laughs> so interesting. Yeah, we still don't know quite what goes on when we sleep. Our brains are definitely like super active and there is stuff going on. Um, we just don't quite know how it all works yet. So pug is the answer to this all. <laughs> <laughs> pug is the answer. Uh, yeah, octopodes are, are incredible animals. They're so crazy. They, super crazy. Um, so... I had a whole evolution of this next story uh, because oh. I saw the headline a couple times from you and from uh, like on the news somewhere on maybe Reddit or, or something, but I didn't read any of the fine print. And so my next step was to go to fredmeyer.com and find out how I could buy it. And uh, then finding none there, then I did the google search to how do i find this and then that led back to the story that you referenced here and if i would have just read literally one sentence what i find out so the mark and todd cast the mark and todd cast pepsi and peeps team up uh, on a marshmallow soda so i'm one of the strange humans that uh enjoy peeps and uh, they're they're terrible, but I love them. So I love marshmallow. I love super sweet things. I'm classically American, uh, you know, guy. And uh, <laughs> so all this stuff. So uh, the companies behind the sweets have announced a collaboration to create Pepsi Peeps, which will combine the two flavors. But you won't be able to buy them in stores. Oops. Uh, instead, the seven and a half ounce mini cans will be given away in three packs to people who post pictures of themselves celebrating spring in a socially distant manner. Pictures should be posted to Twitter or Instagram tagging Pepsi and including their hashtags. The brands will accept entries through March 31st. <clears throat> so uh, you and I, Todd, will be taking a few uh, uh, pictures <laughs> Uh, after the show uh, is, is wrapped, and we will be tweeting this out. You're on, get, the, get your hands uh, on that peat-flavored soda. I'm gonna, well, and I'll report back if I get one of the 3,000 that are available worldwide. <laughs> and, <laughs> odds are oh, slim, but... That's uh, funny. Yeah, cool. All right. Well, that last story segues into what we're going to talk about, which you still don't know because I didn't really... I have notes, but I don't. So this topic was actually suggested by our friend Brian Turner, who has uh, shown up as co-host of Portland at the Movies a couple times, a friend of ours. And he had sent me this story, uh, this link, and I don't remember what his original link was, but he said, can you look into this or this sounds interesting? And so at first I was going to use it for a War of Wikipedia entry because it's it was kind of short, but a little too long. So it was like one of those weird in-between things. And I thought, well, we have a lot of news stories. I'll do it this week. And so I started looking into it. And it turns out that despite, despite like 90% of the information that I found confirming this, I, I don't think it's true. And that means I am going against places like the BBC and the New York Times and Business Insider and Internet Historian and like all of these things. So the thing that he sent me is um, how it was. I think the title of the, the article he sent me was how Pepsi 
became to have or let's see how Pepsi <laughs> take two. Go on. I'm sure I'll edit this out. Uh, how Pepsi became the owner of the sixth largest Navy in the world oh, is basically what it was. And so I thought, well, that sounds interesting. And so I watched a, a couple YouTube videos and like videos that were, you know, 15, 20 minutes long and telling the same story. And so I just kind of watched a bunch of them so I can kind of learn the story a little bit more. But then there was this like little two minute video that was like kind of telling the same story. And then they're like, but it never happened. And I was like, okay. Like so far we have like six people saying one thing and there's this other two minute video that like from who knows saying, and, but it was enough that I was like, well, okay, well let's look into that. And so what we, what we do have Mark is some facts. So let's start with some facts. And of course, like any good story, that ends with Pepsi owning the Navy. It starts with the second oldest still used currency in the world. And that is the ruble. So the okay. Soviet ruble, one of the things about it is that it was not, it was only usable within the Soviet union. Like you could not okay. go to Europe and transfer your rubles into pounds or whatever. It was, it only worked in, in Russia. So, and, and like all stories, this involves Richard Nixon. So in the, during the Cold War, America and the Soviet Union were going back and forth trying to prove like, look how great it is here. No, but look how great it is here. And so they had a, um, it wasn't quite one of the world's fair things, but it was basically the United States set up a look how great it is to live in the United States exhibit in Russia. Russia sent a, a set up a look how great it is to live in modern Russia in the United States. And so while Richard Nixon, who was vice president at the time for Eisenhower, I think he was the, the vice president for, but vice president Richard Nixon, uh, this is in 1959, the exhibition in new york for the ussr so there's this wonderful picture of richard nixon talking to nikolai khrushchev in front of this like little kitchen setup that has like some brillo pad an sos pad and a little opened opened uh laundry washing machine and stuff like that and so nikolai nikolai khrushchev and richard nixon are debating back and forth about the glories of socialism very the glory versus the glory of capitalism and and uh, getting into a debate. And I think Khrushchev ends up saying like, you are warrior for capitalism. I am warrior for socialism. The end, like, you know, <laughs> agree to disagree yeah. or whatever. Uh, but it was getting like kind of super hot inside because, you know, summer in New York or wherever this was. And so um, the CEO of Pepsi, who is named uh, or not the CEO, a Pepsi executive named Donald M. Kendall, handed a cup of Pepsi to both Richard Nixon and Nikolai Khrushchev to say like, Oh, you know, are you hot? Taste some of the wonders of, you know, whatever. And obviously Donald Kendall knew that showing a picture of these two world leading leaders holding your product was a great way to get some attention. Um, so Khrushchev loves Pepsi. 
and he was obsessed with it. And at, up until then, there was no American business that did any business in Russia. Like Russia was a closed system. But Nikolai Khrushchev was like, perhaps, perhaps I act too quickly or whatever a Russian accent sounds like. <laughs> and so um, the photo that ended up coming out uh, of that, it was called the kitchen what was it the kitchen discussion or something like that was the famous picture of them debating over this kitchen exhibition. And so the photo of them holding the Pepsi was a huge triumph. Uh, and in 1972, he was able to open Pepsi or open the USSR to Pepsi, the first country locking out Coca-Cola, you know, until the eighties getting into, into Russia. Of course, the problem is that the Soviet ruble, their money was worthless anywhere. Like, they could not pay Pepsi with their money because their money had no value anywhere. So they devised a plan that Pepsi would get the rights to sell Stolichnaya vodka in the United States. <laughs> and so they began to export the Stolichnaya vodka and it was a huge success. You know, they were making it was a good deal all through the, the, the 70s and 80s. Well, then Russia invades Afghanistan and it becomes very unpopular for most people to invade Afghanistan, I guess, in retrospect. But at the time, it was very unpopular for Russia to do so. And so it wasn't seen as a good thing that um, to buy Russian products. And so the vodka uh, market tanked and Pepsi wasn't making any of their money. Um, but in the late eighties, Russia is drinking about a billion servings of Pepsi a year. Um, and Pepsi is starting to run ads starring Michael Jackson in Russia. Like they're very much ramping up. Well, then the bottom falls out of the vodka market. So in the spring of 1989, Pepsi and the Soviet Union signed a remarkable deal. Pepsi became the middleman for 17 old submarines and three warships, including a frigate, a cruiser, and a destroyer. Um, excuse me. Pepsi also bought new Soviet oil tankers and leased them or sold them out in a partnership with, Nor with a Norwegian company. In return, the company could make more than double the number of Pepsi plants in the Soviet Union. So they were building up um, to make plants to make Pepsi. So all of the stories include that, like all of this, all of this is confirmed in all the stories, but what's not confirmed is that I, I don't think this ever actually came to fruition. And it's confusing because until about five years ago, no one really knew about this story until it ran in the, um, in the, in the New York times. And so the New York times article mentions this and it was kind of hard because the New York times and the Washington post are both behind paywalls. <laughs> and so right. I like, I had to do my Angelina, Angelina Jolie in the nineties movie hackers thing to like <laughs> open different windows to do this, to trick the New York times and letting me read this one thing. And, <laughs> So they do in the New York Times explicitly say that this deal went through and Pepsi was the owner of all of this stuff. Since then, most people talking about this, including places on the Internet, all trace back to the New York Times article, which, of course, was picked up by everyone else. And so it becomes one of those misinformation bottlenecks that um, and so 
where else did I find him? Like, well, who can I find? Who can I trust in this world of wild misinformation? And so I kind of did some poking around and other side and found some other people pointing out like, no, it's not true. Um, it was going to happen like this article I found. Uh, the New York Times reported all of this. What I just read, the 17 submarines, a cruiser frigate, a destroyer that will be sold for scrap. Um, and that is kind of the the ground zero of that. But what eventually happens is that so apparently this deal is made, um, but it starts to fall apart because the website Naval Gazing, Naval as in <laughs> warships, which of course is just obsessive deep dives into <laughs> naval military history, um, ended up finding that it did all point back to this New York Times article. Uh, but it didn't happen. And he, he looked into this navel gazing guy. His, he said, my initial response was to try to track down what ships were involved. Unfortunately, I came up with blank. Nobody had a list of the ships involved and there were only a handful of Soviet cru cruisers retired in that appropriate time frame. And all of those, there were, um, they have record of what happened to them. So everything in the Russian naval uh, Navy that was decommissioned from like 1985 to 1995 or whatever is like very clear. You're able to trace it. None of them, none of them go to Pepsi. Um, but the reason I think it didn't happen is because by 1990 and 1991, the Soviet union completely collapses, like not just their money, not just the right. vodka market, the, the, you know, the entire system, it catastrophically breaks, breaking Russia up into several different nations um, that Pepsi would then have to do business with in order for right. any of this to happen. And so um, the that then they made another three billion dollar deal that would have uh, seen Russia build them some container tanks that they could have leased out, blah, 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 blah. But all of that fell through as well. In 1994, Pepsi's annual report shows that there were no profits reported for any assets or leases from the corporation's shipping concerned or reported profits from the sales of ships. Uh, and that's because the Soviet Union broke apart. And there was also, which I, sh I should do a follow-up to this episode, because there's also this crazy thing happening with Pizza Huts in Moscow, which kind of sounds like it's not related, but Pizza Hut is a company that is owned by the Yum Corporation, which also right. owns Pepsi and then Pepsi Lay's and Potato Chip, like everything is is right. op uh, by that. So they're, it's probably Disney of of foods. Totally, yeah. totally. And it had something to do with, um, oh, my, my lights are flickering. <laughs> they sure are. Hopefully it's just that one. Um, <laughs> anyway, where was I before we're going to lose everything <laughs> that we've just recorded? <laughs> um, but something about Pizza Hut, they had to like, they had to source their mozzarella from Lithuania or something and like <laughs> that all fell through or something like that. And then there was, I haven't clicked on this because it seems too good to be true. And it's a very long PDF coming from somewhere in the UK. But it, this article says, for instance, P the pizza hut had a little problem with STDs. Their first stumbling block resulted from failing to screen all employees for venereal disease and they had to temporarily be shut down. So 
<laughs> that, as they say, is a story for a different day. Um, but so it sounds like all of this was going to happen and it ended up falling through. Um, so as uh, as the Soviet Union uh, fell, other companies like Coca-Cola was able to get in there in 1985. So Pepsi, Pepsi didn't have the uh, monopoly anymore. Um, but everything just sort of fell apart when the Soviet Union fell apart. So it sounds like they were set up to receive all these retired. And then, like, I saw some pictures of the actual submarines and stuff like that, which were all, like, floating sideways in the water <laughs> and, like, <clears throat> yeah. just... When when the CCCP or the uh, Soviet Union fell, uh, that was while I was in the Navy and in... in Navy separates. And one of our biggest fears was the uh, lack of central management of their Navy anymore is when uh, Soviet Union fell, then it broke into, you know, Ukraine and Russia and Kyrgyzstan, all the, all the, all of the little subsidiaries. And so you didn't have a central owner of their military force and, their military was way underfunded and you know, there were crazy stories of lack of food and just just weird stuff. And so I imagine that there were a lot of shenanigans trying to, you know, get get money into that pipeline. And uh, and so I imagine that it, there's there's a lot here that we don't know as the public of how all that transpired. I, I fully believe it yeah so very interesting and it was interesting also to see some of these bigger sites like i said the, like the bbc and business journal and business insider and the internet historian like all of these places that you're like oh well i'll see what they have to say and then it kind of crumbles when you lean on it as like right. with any sort of like if the mark and podcast <laughs> can figure this out <laughs> <laughs> there is no excuse for your for your uh, publication. So, but a, a super fascinating story, regardless of whether or not they ended up with the with the Soviet Navy. Just the fact that they had the deal with the Stolokhnaya vodka and the history of it being <laughs> Khrushchev loving Pepsi and wanting to get it into his thing. So a fascinating story. So thank you to Brian Turner for sending that in. And it was kind of yeah. it was kind of fun to be able to dismantle it, but still have still have enough about it to be true that it was super interesting. So. If, yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, so if anyone else, if anyone else has a subscription to the New York Times, uh, send it to me so I can fact check our articles in the first place. But <laughs> um, yeah, if if you have little interesting stories that uh, you've been thinking of or want us to look into, definitely send it to us because it's it's fun to dive into something like that that I've never heard of and then kind of come out the other end, uh, dredging up all the facts. So anyway, that's, that's how. That's Really interesting. Pepsi almost had. Well, and then there is most of what you'll see is kind of the the clickbaity headline that maybe I'll just use for this for this thing is how Pepsi came to have the sixth largest navy in the whole world or whatever. Like even <laughs> if all of it would have happened, they were that wasn't anywhere near the sixth largest navy in the world to have like <laughs> seventeen submarine. Like so, even that. <laughs> 
claim is is very dubious, but they <laughs> did indeed plan to have some subs that they would have turned in for scrap. So interesting, interesting. <sighs> really cool. And that cool stuff. is the end of that story. Yay. Well, um, we are moving in a couple of weeks and so uh we're gonna take a little bit of a break as uh, i finish packing this house and then we will be back after uh april 10th is my move date so the weekend after april 10th we'll record again yep yep so So, one of the few times we know ahead of time (laughs) we won't be recording no just In the meantime, go to (laughs) navelgazing.net and you'll be able to, uh, (laughs) I want to see what his top stories are in a second. Um, This is probably hosted on like some angel fire network, (laughs) something or other. Well, navelgazing.net is not responding right now, so I will have to check back in later. Anyway, well, check out Portland, Weird Portland United, speaking of... um, They've still got things going on. I've been enjoying their posts. Oh, there is a naval gazing virtual meetup. Oh, this was on July 14 of 2020. Um, but he is still updated. There's something from March 28, 2021, which is Nuclear Weapons at Sea, Polaris Part 5. So he is always updating <laughs> navelgazing.net. So be, see. be oh, sure yeah. to... <laughs> to Fun. get on that tip so well thanks to everyone for listening and if you see us out selling our stuff on the sidewalk come say hi to us because that <laughs> is super cool so um other than that i don't know what i'll take you out with maybe i'll find some be able to find some russian pepsi ad so until we meet again everyone or, or the tickle me plant song. <gasps> oh my gosh can you yes. tell us about the tickle me plant song for yeah. tell me about it what what is a tickling plant what is what, a tickle, tickle me plant? plant so the tickle me plant i don't know what the exact um name genus and genus and species is but is it a plant that i've seen around on the internet for years and years and years and never bought one because i don't love growing plants from seeds just because it never seems to turn out like I want and I'd rather just buy it and have it. And so I was always hoping to find one in the wild, but I'm for my stimulus money. I've kind of, I've set aside most of it and I'm trying to treat it like a universal gift card for local businesses and create like family owned businesses and creative people. Like I want to see how long I can keep that money out of the hands of our corporate overlords. And so I'm trying to give it directly to people who do stuff. And so I love it. I finally went to tickleMePlant.com and ordered uh, my seeds, which I still have not planted, but it's this plant that kind of looks like a, they've got leaves that are maybe an inch or two long that kind of have a ferny, edge to them but when you you touch them they immediately close up kind of like a venus flytrap and the whole plant like closes itself off because it thinks it's being attacked or something and apparently it's not bad for the plant after a day or so the leaves will open back up or whatever but you can see these amazing videos that i've always watched of of the plant shrinking up and stuff like that and i came (laughs) across i came across a video on YouTube about the tickle plant that has what Brian accurately noted as a cursed song. <laughs> so I, it's 
wretched. <laughs> it's terrible and annoying. And and if you would, if you you know those those filters you can get for videos that are like. Um, they're like the if you would take LSD, it would look like this. And like the dog faces will like come out of yeah. plants that will like go into something. And I don't know what the what those are called, but if you've ever seen right. one and like if that was applied to the Tickle Me Plant ad on YouTube, like your brain would explode because it's like this cursed music and this imagery that's all crazy. So the imagery. So Todd will take you. I will take Todd will take that. you out with the Tickle Me Plant song. Long story short, here's the song for Tickle Me Plant. Awesome. Well, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Bye. Bye bye. Now the Tickle Me Plant is an amazing plant. You tickle it and the leaves will fold. You'll find the Tickle Me Plant fascinating. If you're five or a hundred years old, then you'll start to sing. <laughs>